You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Let me pray for us this morning as we get started. Uh, will you just pray as we uh, pray together that God would teach you this morning, that he would be the one speaking to your head and to your heart to make this morning matter in your lives. Jesus, we just invite the fact that you're already here, that your Holy Spirit has been here before we got here this morning, anticipating the opportunity that we would slow down enough to hear from you. And so, God, we just want to say we're willing to do that. Would you be our teacher this morning? Would you guide us from your scriptures? Would you make the application exactly what we've needed? And sometimes even, God, not what we've wanted, but truly what we've needed. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, I know a woman who said this. She said, you know, the girls at work, they just talk. They gossip all the time, they, they're catty, they're nasty, they're rude, they make fun of her Christian beliefs, and she says, I basically work in a very toxic situation. I'd love to say some things back to them, but because I'm a Christian, I kind of just hold my tongue. She said, I need to leave, but I need to line something else up first. I know of a tiny church who, based on their beliefs and their wrong theology, refused to show grace to others. They picket military funerals, they yell at pro and protest at pride marches, and they speak hate, abusing the name of Jesus. I won't tell you the name of this church. You probably already know what it is, but they don't deserve to have their name spoken of. They're famous for their hatred. For some parents, they told me that when the phone call came, it simply said, I'm pregnant. It was a shock to these Christian parents who would raise their child in the ways of Christ. But that child had walked away from the church. And over the past few years, whenever the subject came up about lifestyle and what, what they were doing, it led to constant arguing. So when their first grandbaby showed up, it certainly was a blow to these parents' pride. But they decided to lay down their right to be right and to love both parents and the child deeply. They decided to love their daughter and do everything they could to help that couple and applaud them to make any and all right God-honoring decisions. In this series, we are looking at the importance of tension. And over the past number of weeks, we've looked at several so far. We've looked at the fact that you can know God, but God is also a mystery. There's a tension that exists between that. You can know God, but he's also a mystery. Secondly, God has ideals. His principles work. He has ideal ways for how we should live life, for how we should operate, for what we should look like, for what our families should look like. And yet God uses broken people, thankfully, right? We've looked at the Bible is all true. But not everything true about life is in the Bible. That there are other truths and other disciplines, archaeology, many of the sciences that we would look at that they're just simply not in the Bible. But we utilize the Bible as a filter to discern, is other truth actually true, or is it anti-biblical falsehoods? The Bible's all true, but guess what? There's other true things about life that just simply aren't in the Bible. And then last, we talked about you can know Christ in a moment, but it will take you forever to figure out what that means. That you can come to know God in a prayer. You can come to know him in a moment. That you can give your life to God in a moment. But it will take you a lifetime to figure out how to flesh that out. What does that look like? What does it mean? And today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the fact that your beliefs matter. 
They do. Your beliefs are important. They matter. But people matter more. Your beliefs matter. But Jesus constantly showed us that people matter more. And it's easy for us to say, yes, my heart resonates with that, yes, because we don't like it when someone else's beliefs are forced down on us. We don't like it. We say, no, listen, people are important. But all too often, I think, as we'll look today, we will realize that sometimes our beliefs cause even you and I to mistreat people. So your beliefs matter. But the thing we've got to remember, the thing that the church is known for is our love, that people matter more. If you're taking notes today on your outline, the first fill in the blank is this. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then something is wrong with your beliefs. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then something is wrong with your beliefs. There's something at the core that is wrong that would say that my beliefs are so important that then I'm going to utilize my rightness to mistreat someone else. And this doesn't mean that we're just pacifists. It doesn't mean that we just lay down uh, our right. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what is right. But the way in which we stand for what is right, I think to the people who receive it, make all the difference, doesn't it? Isn't it great when someone else is right, but they're gracious to you when you've been wrong? You finally have to admit, you're, you know what, you're right. I was wrong, you were right, and their response is gracious. Isn't that a wonderful thing for you in your life? Where did this all start? Where did it all start that if our beliefs are wrong and it causes us to mistreat people, then something's wrong with your beliefs? Well, we've got to go back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, it says this, speaking of Eve, and as in Adam and Eve, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Isn't that an interesting idea that blood cries out to God? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You were under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The very first murder that occurs in the Bible is that between two brothers. But the stem cause of the murder is a belief. The stem cause of the murder is an underlying fear, an underlying belief. And to understand this passage, uh, we've dealt with it a little bit before, but let me rewind for you. 
Some people don't understand. Why did God receive one offering and not the other? Both brought offerings. And the key issue here is that Abel brought the first of his income, the first of his uh, best. He brought his first and best to the Lord and offered it, and God received that. The key for Cain is that Cain brought something, but he brought it, listen, not first, not really even second. It says, in the course of time. In other words, almost after a while, almost after obligation, he brought an offering to God. And God just said, no, I want the first. I want the first of your heart. I want the first of your life. The way that I've instructed you to give offerings is to honor me with the first. Abel honors me with the first, and I receive it. You, Cain, were giving me leftovers. And so I didn't receive it. And Cain got upset with that. Why? What would his underlying belief be? His underlying belief would be that, you know what? God should make me equal. God should let me bring a gift to him on my time. God should receive whatever I give to him according to my terms, not according to his terms. His underlying belief is that the world should operate around him. And when it didn't, and when favor was given to his brother Abel, then suddenly he said, I will kill my brother. Sometimes you and I do that, right? You ever negotiate with God? God, I did this good thing for you. You kind of owe me one. Or God, haven't you seen how I've been living my life? Haven't you seen the right things I've done? And, and certainly you, you owe me. And the underlying belief is that God should show special favor. God should do something special. Instead of us living according to his means and his ways and his operating system, we say, God, you're supposed to live around us and make our life better and do things our way. We should never have suffering. We should never have tragedy. We should, and we begin to have these core beliefs that leak their way in that make us bitter against God. And instead of being just simply we get bitter against God, instead of getting better, we get bitter against God and we can't reach God. So who do we take it out on? We take it out on those people around us that we can touch, that we can interact with. It's our own dissatisfaction with the fact that you and I are not God. So he says it's unfair. He gets angry. The anger's all over his face. Parents, you know what that's like, right? Why is your face downcast? You can read it on your kid when they're upset, right? Why is your face so downcast? That's what God asks Cain. And he gives him this instruction. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It's not a done deal yet. But you must rule over it. But instead, Cain followed the God of as I pleased and took out his unfairness, his anger, his premeditated murder and followed through on it. In our culture, equality and fairness and anger and murder are the markers of our current culture, right? It's this idea of subscriptionism. We all got to do this together. We all got to think the same. We all got to be the same. We all got to feel the same. And if you have free speech and want to say something different, then, then the rest of us are going to kind of gang up on you. And, and we may not actually murder you, but we may actually character assassinate you. We may go after it because what usually was the freedoms of our country to have free speech, are now slowly turning to revolving around subscriptionism that we all got to think and feel and behave and act the same. And the issue of that at the core is control. It's the same with Sharia law. Isn't it? Beliefs of others that we hear about, 
We hear terrorism. We hear people enacting Sharia law from a, you know, a false system, a false belief on people around them, causing them to mistreat people. Do those beliefs matter? They matter to those people. But if your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, there's something wrong with your core beliefs. Some of you in this room are saying, well, David, come on, listen. D you know, stop this. I'm not going to kill somebody. No, you might not. You might not kill somebody. But you might resort to fight or flight. And for some of you, it's flight. That when you face that opposition, you're going to run away. When, when you face opposition of someone who doesn't like you, someone who hates you, someone who is your enemy, then you're going to act as if that person is dead. You're going you're to run away from them. You're going to avoid them. But your beliefs matter. But people matter more. Let me make it practical for you. Okay, I have a belief. My belief is that the slower traffic should stay right. Any other believers in the room? Amen. Right on. Right on. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. My fellow, my fellow uh, ticket getters. And, <laughs> but I have a belief. It's on signs. It says it. If you can read, it says slower traffic, keep right. And, uh, and that's a belief. Is my belief true? Yes. It actually is posted on signs uh, on the road. But sometimes my belief will make me mistreat people. It'll make me intimidate them. It'll make me stare. And so this is how it typically goes down in, in our car. I'm driving behind a person. They're slow. And they're just, it's killing me. Like, you know, not even going to the speed limit. And they're in the fast lane. And usually three or four cars go around them. And I'm like, I, I, I'll be the one. If I just press them a little, they'll get over. Because the rest of the people weren't able to do it. But I think I can. And so, you know, they'll, they'll eventually get over. Well, you know, they don't. And, and maybe eventually they do. And then Heather's like, she'll be in the passenger seat. She'll be like, don't look at them. Don't look. We're like pulling up. You know, don't, don't look. Don't. But, but I have to. I have to. Because I'm in my mind going, why would you be slow in the fast lane? Like, like you know, what, what's the condition there? Is, it, is there a handicap sticker there? Is, is, is there some sort of like you're distracted by a bee in the car? Is the person on their phone? What's going on, right? I have to figure out like, why would you not hit, handle the core blade? She'd be like, don't look. Don't look. And we're going by, and she'd be like, you looked. I, you know, you glared. That's what she'd say. You glared at them. I didn't glare. Like, I have tinted windows. Like, I mean, like, I'm just looking to see what's going on. She'd be like, no, no you glared. And, you know, and, and of course, then she's gripping this, the, the driver's side door, just letting you know we're just like you. <laughs> no, it's no different in our house, right? Do your beliefs matter? Yeah, where do I need to work? People matter more, don't they? See, in your life and my life, our beliefs matter, but people matter more. Number two in your outline, the nature of beliefs is the ability to be controlled by them, resulting in sin against others. That's the problem, right? The problem with our beliefs is that our beliefs then cause us to be controlled by them. We think we're in control of our beliefs, but so often we look at life, we look at scripture, we look at how life works, and we realize that our beliefs have the ability to control us. Which is good, because if you're believing rightly, if you're believing in great ways, you're actually laying down a firm foundation. But the danger is, the backsided weakness of the front-sided strength of belief is the ability to be controlled by them, and sometimes that results in sin against others. We see this really clearly illustrated in Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. In Mark 14, 1, this is speaking of Jesus and his disciples 
Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Isn't that the way sometimes, you know, leadership works? You try and make the decision and get the thing slid in when everybody else is distracted by regular work or regular life. You just slide that bill in. You just slide that little thing in on the side, right? That's how it works. And the, it, it was no different. The chief priests uh, and teachers of the law, they were trying to slide in this thing. Let's, let's get rid of Jesus because we believe that there is one God and it's not Jesus. They don't realize that Jesus is God come in flesh. And they say, let's grab him. Let's kill him. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Your beliefs matter, but people matter more. In this situation right there, there's this woman who's giving an outpouring of love to Jesus. The most valuable thing she would own, the most valuable thing she would have, this perfume. In fact, people would often feel that something like that was safer to keep and sell as an asset later on than having a lot of money hoarded away somewhere. That they could actually do it. It's smaller, it's compact, it can travel with you, but it's very expensive. And she pours this love offering out on Jesus. And some of them, they're by their, their, their maybe even their self-righteousness, by misunderstanding the situation, that they say, listen, all this, we could have sold that perfume. We could have gotten more ministry value out of that perfume than just her dumping it on you, Jesus. And they spoke and rebuked her harshly. You ever done that? You ever walked into a, a church and looked around and said, wow, they got, they got good speakers here. That could have been used to feed the poor. Wow, this could have happened, or that could have happened, and this could have been that way. What's the underlying fear? What's the underlying issue? What's the underlying belief? So often those who complain about issues like that actually do very little for those people that they're looking to help. In fact, Judas was one of them. The scriptures tell us in another location that Judas was the treasurer of the offerings that came in for Jesus, and that he would take some of those offerings for himself. So of course, he would think instantly in this money, look at how much money that could have been. That could have been used to uh, help the poor. And he's thinking, I'm the poor, right? So help myself. 
We don't know if it was Judas in this instance who spoke or, or some of the others or whether it was just kind of a common belief. But regardless, they began to keep abuse on this woman for the use of her assets, for her to use them how she wanted to use them in a way to worship Jesus. They began to heap abuse on her. Judas's core belief was this, that Jesus is my ticket to self-gain. He literally thought, Jesus is going to rule someday. We're going to kick the Romans out. Jesus is going to rule, and I'm going to be right there with him by his side. He's my ticket to material gain. One day he might rule. Judas was this treasurer, and he's thinking, look, look, if I'm, if I'm already receiving this much and taking care of the money and taking a little bit for myself, can you imagine what I could get when Jesus rules over all? When Jesus is over the entire land, that was his ambition, that was his hope. But as Jesus revealed more and more his plan to be a sacrifice, Judas left what he thought was a sinking ship and looked for other gain. And how did he look for it? He looked for it in blood money by being an accessory to murder. See, we have a first murder in the Bible. Cain killing his brother Abel. We now have an accessory to a murder in, this, in the New Testament. Judas betraying Jesus to those who wanted to kill him, hoping for personal gain. He was controlled by his core beliefs. And one of the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus said, my beliefs matter. He said, at the expense of people. Let me ask you, where are your core beliefs causing you to sin against others? Is it, is it your greed? And you say, I'm not a greedy person. Well, let me break greed down for you a little bit. Because a lot of times people think of greed, they think of money. Like Judas was greedy for, for some money. They might think that that's greed. But, but greed is simply wanting more. Gr greed is wanting something extra. Greed is wanting more than what you have. It's a discontent with what you already have. And, and maybe your core beliefs are one of these greed areas. Let me illustrate them for you. Maybe for you it's that you want more money. You're greedy for more money. For you, it might be more sexual impurity. It might be more power, more ambition, more anger, more lust, more rage, more slander, more filthy language, more lies. Wow, you say, Dave, slow down. Where are you getting this whole huge list from? Like, gear down. Trying to think of like every sin on the planet? Nope. Got the list from Colossians chapter 3. You ought to read it sometime. It's a great chapter. But these are the things that illustrate greed. Greed builds these things. What did Cain want? Cain wanted more respect from God, but on his terms. And so he sinned against his brother. What did Judas want? He wanted more, more of his kingdom built. But when Jesus was laying down his life to build God's kingdom, to save you and me, he left that sinking ship. The author of Colossians chapter 3, Paul, knew what drove him when he was a religious zealot, persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, having them killed because he believed that God could not have become flesh and died for people. He knows what it was like that drove him, the greed that drove him before he came to Christ. You remember his name was not Paul at that time, his name was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was a great Pharisee. He was one of these religious leaders. He saw his, his contemporaries kill Jesus, and now he said, let me finish the work. Let me go out and finish. Thank, that's great you got Jesus, but he has some followers. Let's go get them. 
And that's what he was doing. And he understood what was it in his core beliefs that were causing him to absolutely persecute and mistreat God's people. He was pushed by this vaulting ambition. You realize there's a difference, right, between noble ambition and vaulting ambition? Noble ambition is, I want to do well. I want to serve people in my company well. I want to serve the government well. I want to, I want to serve the people in my family well. I want to do, that, that's noble ambition. That's good. Vaulting ambition is, I will mistreat people to get what I want, to get more. Maybe it's more respect. Maybe it's more power. Maybe it's more money. But I will harm others for more. And Paul realized that his life that ambition had led him to murder and to greed and to emptiness. But it was there that he met Jesus. Jesus spoke out from a bright light that blinded him. Everybody heard his voice. And Paul in that moment, Saul in that moment, was saved and later was named Paul, who became a zealous evangelist for the sake of Christ, being mistreated, validating other people's beliefs and giving them the truth of Christ, but validating people. He was giving his life for people. It radically changed who he was because his beliefs mattered. But he suddenly understood that people matter more, and Jesus died to save people. If your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, then something is wrong with your beliefs. Sin, by the way, can result in two murders, right? Sin can result in two murders. It can result in relational murder and physical murder. We typically think of murder as being physical murder, that, that you actually go and kill somebody. It's Cain killing Abel. It's Judas betraying Jesus, who then was killed, who then rose from the grave and conquered death. Amen? That's good news. But sin, your sin, my sin, can result in two types of murders. There's physical murder, but there's also relational murder. That's character assassination. That's treating someone as if they're dead. It might be for some of you, it's fight. You're going after them relationally. For others of you, it's flight. You avoid the conflict. You avoid the person. You walk away from them. You, you pretend like it doesn't exist. But both are murders. Your beliefs matter, but people matter more. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said some of the most shocking statements in Scripture. Among them, in chapter 5, verse 43, he says this, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, that's Old Testament belief. That's old idea belief. That's actually a belief that, that the Jewish people would have propagated. They'd say, hey, love your countrymen, but kind of hate everybody else. It was a prejudice, right? Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you know that Jesus is God? Because no human would say that. Right? Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Even the people who are ripping off their own countrymen, aren't they doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When he says perfect, he's saying, listen, let your beliefs walk and work in such a way that you actually love people. Because your beliefs matter. But listen, just like your heavenly Father said, 
my beliefs matter. But people matter more. And God never compromised his beliefs to save people. In fact, saving people was a right response sacrificially to the nature of his beliefs. And what you need to realize with Jesus is time and again, he's the one who created the law. He's the one who, who spoke it. He is the word become flesh. He is the law. He is the spoken word of God become flesh. And Jesus says, understands how he walks. Let me ask you this. How would Jesus have responded? If he was only about beliefs, if, if there was no tension between these two, if he was only about beliefs, how would Jesus have responded to the woman caught in adultery? He would say, if a person was caught in adultery in that way in the Old Testament, you pick up rocks and you stone them to death. Jesus would have been the Nolan Ryan of Israel. He would have picked up rocks and just started stoning that woman, right? But what was so radical about Jesus is he had the perfect outpouring of his beliefs. That his beliefs matter. He didn't compromise them. He didn't water them down. He said, my beliefs matter, but people matter more. And there is an ultimate accounting. And there's one that you don't escape from. But people matter more, and I want you to escape that ultimate accounting and show grace and love to the woman caught in adultery. Time and again, you can look at the acts of Jesus, and you'll see that his beliefs matter, and people matter more. And he can love people in such a way, listen, that it doesn't compromise his beliefs. Some churches, some people try to love people so much, they elevate this, that they actually compromise their beliefs. They never call sin, sin. They never call people to account. They, never, they don't do any of that stuff. And so what they've done, they've elevated people, but they've totally watered down and confused their beliefs. What I want you to understand is that there's a tension between the two. That your beliefs matter, but people matter more. But sometimes loving people means that you lead them toward appropriate belief. You lead them toward appropriate accountability. But the manner in which you do that shows whether you're committing relational murder, physical murder, or whether you're showing love. That's how Jesus said, love your enemies. He's not saying, go right up to them, put yourself in immediate danger, be in an abusive situation. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying, listen, actively love and pray for your enemies. You know, what happens is your enemies may not change when you pray for them, but I guarantee you, you will change when you pray for your enemies. Jesus said, Father, as he'd be nailed to the cross, hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do his beliefs matter? Yeah, do people matter more? Obviously. Jesus understood the tension. The problem is religiosity oftentimes tries to drag people into an end of beliefs and elevating the beliefs in such a way that they mistreat people. And the world cannot know the true people of God unless they know love. Jesus said the world will know us by our love. That's how they're going to know us. But sometimes your fears or my fears make you and I unloving. You might have people move in next to you and you're like, they are sketchy people or there are people you're not comfortable with or you think the whole neighborhood is going to pot, literally, or it's going to something else, right? And, and you just look around and you're like, oh no, we, you know, maybe, maybe we just need to move. Maybe we need to relocate because it just looks like something's not going right. Neighborhood's turning bad. And you hide in your house and you're all nervous about what's going on around you instead of actively loving those around you. What would happen? You might actively love them. They may not even want your love. 
But when you and I actively love those around us, guess what begins to happen to our core fears? Our core fears get weighed down. Do our beliefs matter? Yes. But people matter more. God is saying to you and me, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. You're going, great. Well, that's right there. I can never do that. I've already messed up. I've already sinned. I can never. Jesus isn't saying you're going to be just, just simply be perfect from here on out. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, let your beliefs be perfected so that you love people like God loved you. Your beliefs, let them be perfected so that you love other people like God loves you. You understand that? So you show grace to other people like God has shown grace to you. When you hear about somebody else, their brokenness, you hear about their sin, you hear about the reality of their life, do you respond in belief, judgment, or do you respond in compassion and grace because you are aware of how much you have been forgiven yourself. There's a world of difference. God's saying, I saved you when you were my enemy. I want us just all remember for a minute, at one time, you weren't just an unbeliever. At one time, you weren't just lost. At one time, you were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. My very sin, according to the beliefs of the scripture, had separated me from a holy God and what I deserved in life, what I deserved in everything, I deserved hell. That's actually what I deserved. I was his enemy and it was just and it was right for me to go to hell. That's what I deserved. I was his enemy. But while we were enemies, Christ died for us so that we could have life with him that's a love that loves your enemies god is saying i loved you when you were my enemy don't just love those who love you like everybody does that right isn't that the nature of it you just really let you gravitate toward people who love you. you you like people who like you you're gonna follow people that you know like you you're not really gonna try to follow people that you don't really like or they don't like you and and so you're, you're just gonna you're gonna say i just want people around me who are gonna applaud me and do things my way and and love me i'm gonna be gravitationally pulled toward those people but god is saying don't just love those who love you be loving to those who actually hate you some of you have an ex You've got an ex-husband, an ex-wife, you have an ex-boss, you have an ex-relationship, you have an estranged kid in your life, a relative in your life, and God is saying, listen, love those who have hated you. You mean love the mean girls? Yes. Love the racist? Yes. What about the terrorists? Yes. To the fool? Yep. What about the adulterer? Yes. To the liar? Yes. To the cruel person? Yes. Now, Jesus saying love your enemies doesn't mean again, and I'm not saying in any way, please hear me, that you keep yourself in an ongoing abusive situation. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this that sometimes we continue to let ourselves be abused because we keep the power of the abuser over us because we lack the will to forgive that person. And we treat others in a murderous way. We've ignored them. We push them away. We don't care for them. We don't think about them. We're committing relational murder with those that don't like us. So I'm not saying keep yourself in an abusive situation. I'm saying forgiveness, listen, 
forgiveness revealing itself in active love. So your beliefs matter. Should you forgive? Yes. Forgiveness frees you. But forgiveness also reveals itself outwardly. Forgiveness reveals itself through practical love and active love with appropriate boundaries to people. Because there are some people that as much as you want them to be a puppy dog will always be a rattlesnake. But you break the power of that rattlesnake over you when you forgive and forgiveness is going to begin to reveal itself through some active love toward them. Break sin's power over you. Break the sin of those people's power over you through forgiveness. And it's going to show itself out by a compassion for them, even when you still have to keep appropriate boundaries. Your story as a Christian will be defined by the degree to which you display beliefs that are sacrificial. It would have been easy for Jesus just to come and say, my beliefs matter, it is the way it is, I'm telling you the truth, and if you don't like it, then it's real easy for me to sort it all out. Because I'll just divide you all right now. Here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly, you're all gone. He could have just done that. But Jesus said, no, people matter, and I will work a way to take the consequences of your sin on myself. And I'll pay that penalty on the cross for you. So let me ask you a question. Your beliefs matter. But people matter more. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to give up your right to be right? Was Jesus right? Always. He was never wrong. He was always right. His beliefs matter, yes. But you watch Jesus willingly to lay down his life, to give up his right to be right, to love people, to bring about a greater good. But so often we're not willing to give up our right to be right. And, and the people around us tell us that, right? They'll say, oh, well, you shouldn't do that. I mean, you know, where, where's your self-respect? Let a person treat you like that. Other people say, well, you know, where, where's the matter of principle, right? I mean, think about it. You know, where is principle? Do you have beliefs or don't you? And they're going to challenge those things. They're going to say, there shouldn't be a tension between those two. Those people are going to say, you should go all toward this, and it all serves you. Where's principle? Where's self-respect in the issue? But what I want you to realize is that Jesus understood the tension, and he loved people. Jesus loved people deeply without compromising his beliefs or his identity. But the enemy is going to come along and argue with you. Well, where's your self-respect? Where's you standing up for yourself? Where's you in all this? Why don't you take care of you? And all these things are going to come up, and he's going to tempt you to commit relational or physical murder based on principle, based on self-respect, based on fear that your beliefs might be getting threatened, that you might have to change your beliefs to love people. The enemy argues that principles and love have to be exclusive. Do you see that in our culture? That your beliefs, your principles, 
and the loving people, they've got to be exclusive. You can only attach love to those who believe what you believe. You can only attach love to these things. And our culture argues that, and the enemy argues that. He will whisper that to your ear. Only love those who love you. Only care for those who care for you. Only invest in those who have some sort of investment that, that benefits you. Jesus showed us that they are not exclusive. That we die to ourselves. and We die to self-respect. And we die to our zeal. And we die to our prejudices in order to love others. That's what Jesus would do. And for him and his challenge to us is that it would also include our enemies. That you would love those who hate you. Number four, the song of your life is in the tension. We've talked about this throughout this series. That the beauty of life, that the song, the, the musical story of your life is in the tension. It's not in a loose guitar string. It's in those that are appropriately stretched across the neck of a guitar. And when that thing is played in perfect tuning, that that song exists there. That that provides the environment for the song of your life to happen in the same way. When you and I walk through these tensions, they're not problems to solve, they're tensions to manage, and that the song of your life is in the tension. This means for you, valuing people without compromising your beliefs or your identity as children of God. Are you right? Yes. But are you willing to lay down your right to be right to love somebody else? Practical love is sacrificial. Love that disarms our natural defensiveness. It's loving and showing goodness to those who believe differently than you and I do. Listen, we've got neighbors all around our house, probably like you. Uh, my wife bakes, and she bakes a lot. And the best way when you bake a lot to not get incredibly large is to give away a lot of what you bake. And if you're a baker in this room, you understand that. And so what happens is Heather a lot of times will make stuff and say, okay, we'll take these to our neighbors. And we've got neighbors of all sorts around us. We, uh, last year, had some drug dealers that got all busted next to us, and we had all sorts of going around our house, right? We've got some Muslim neighbors across uh, the street, and so we would take these cupcakes, uh, you know, cinnamon rolls, whatever Heather bakes, we would take them little plates across to, to our neighbors, and we would give them to them, not just the nice neighbors, not just the neighbors who like us, but give them to our neighbors. And just for year after year, we've now lived in our house uh, seven and a half years, and, and uh, year after year just doing that. Well, this last year, after our Muslim neighbors had finished celebrating uh, Eid, which is their Muslim fast, uh, they came and brought us a gift to celebrate the end of their religious fast, right? Now, do, you, do your beliefs matter? Yes. People matter more. But there was this love that brought down a natural defense. We could be defensive. Those people are Muslims. They believe differently than we do. But what do we do? We just show love, and that practical love, listen to me, breaks down defensiveness. We didn't bring them baked goods one time, and then, oh, well, there's no return. They never gave us a vegetable or anything. So, you know, we didn't, it wasn't like that. It just breaks down that natural thing. Let me ask, what, what people around you in the workplace, in your neighborhood, others are you intentionally avoiding all the time? What might be the core belief behind that? An unwillingness to invite, an unwillingness to extend, an unwillingness to love your neighbor as yourself. For some of you, it just means 
showing generosity to the poor. Others, it's helping a single mom out. Jesus is saying, listen, you as followers of your heavenly father, love your haters. You, you love your haters. I'm not tackling all the world's problems right now. I'm not talking about everybody else or everything else, but you love those where there's been animosity. I want you to know that your beliefs matter and people matter more. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine teaching your kids what practical love looks like to those who hate you? Could you imagine that? What would it look like to practically love and model that? Man, this is sacrificial for us. This is hard for us. It is hard for us to forgive, and it's hard for us to actually extend love toward that person. Can you imagine breaking down your core fears? What's going on in me that makes me respond to them like that? Can you imagine Sun Grove Church loving those who have beliefs that are different than us? There is a tension between protecting our beliefs and loving people, isn't there? Are you ready to sacrifice your right to be right? Would you do it like Jesus does? In our parking lot here, we've got a, uh, an event center in our lot. They're either Hindu or Muslim. We've met the owners there. Um, there have been a situation where they've been parking in our lot a whole bunch, and we've actually looked at the city and said, they're over-parking, there are limitations. If we have an event here and they have an event here, we're all in big trouble because it, it would just be massive. And God's just been leaning on my heart saying, Dave, you're right. You're right. And they believe differently. But what could we as a church do to bless them? Not just call them on the beliefs. Hey, we're in the right. This is our parking. You're encroaching. But what can we do to bless them? Doesn't mean laying down and not standing up for your rights. There are logistics that need to happen. There are boundaries that need to be set. But what can we do to love the people who own that place? I believe someday God will actually give us that place. I do. I believe God will give us that building someday. There have been various tenants in there in the years that we've been here. But I believe God will give us that place someday. But what will we do to love them? These are the questions that we need to ask. These are the questions we need to go deeper on. These are the questions that we could do better on as we manage beliefs and tension. It becomes practical in your life and my life every single day. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If you today are realizing that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've never submitted to him as the Lord of your life, you've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, then right now for the first time, not that you, it's not that you've done this before, it's not that it's happened in your past, but right now for the first time you're saying, Jesus, I want forgiveness from you, and I want to give myself to you. I want to say that you are God and that you were right and I want you to receive me. If that's you today, then you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and take over. I offer to you my sin and ask you to wash it as white as snow. I believe that you are God, that you died while I have been your enemy so that I could have new life and right standing with God. So today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.